do is a natural intersection with DEI. You talk about sports, entertainment, culture, media, like that's, you look at the talent and the people involved, like a microcosm of diversity. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, uh, innovation, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Fabrito, back for my next session with my co-host, Tom Richardson, here at the beginning of December 2022. Tom. What's up, Joe? It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one together, so it's good to, to be back and i think this is the first one we've done since the uh the world cup started is that possible a few weeks sure ago? yeah it's only been um uh, it's been a lot yeah because wow it started so over, all right yeah. so let's talk about that for a minute i mean this has been amazing i think i mean not just because the u.s is doing well but i'm sure you've been following the media side of this i mean I, let's let's just for the sake of this conversation leave to the side the issues with qatar and the controversies that could be a whole podcast but leaving it to that to the side what struck me, I don't know if you saw the article that Anthony Krupe did, I think he, today yep. or yesterday in Sportico. Correct. Yep. Ratings for the group stage up 44% over yep. 2018, which is really impressive. Um, and remember all the fear that everybody had about it moving to the fall and competing with college football and NFL? Well, here's an interesting take that he, or a point that he made. One of the media measures in television that I learned as a young uh, as a young media planner right after college when I worked at Gray was this uh, acronym HUT. Do you know what that is, Joe? By any chance, HUT? Households under well, something. You're on your way. Yeah, it's houses using television. Okay. So it's basically like a, a measurement of how active just the, the, the television universe is. Right. It's like saying people moment. using an abacus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and H HUT is an important thing because it obviously affects the rating. So um what so he pointed out the fact that hut levels are called are higher, no surprise, in the fall because of the weather and the change of season and stuff like that. And it's about 15% higher, for example, in November than June. So I hadn't really thought about that because we talk a lot in my class about these digital platforms, like what's the addressable market? Well, if there are more people watching TV, you have a better chance of getting higher ratings. So that was just an interesting little nuance, yeah, I thought. Yeah. He, he's a really entertaining writer, that guy, yes, Joe. He, 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 he writes some funny stuff. And uh, I think our friend Corey Leff has one coming about ratings, too. Um, by the way, so another Trojan horse in this whole thing is in there were the Telemundo and Peacock numbers, which... Are, I think I heard uh, Ray Warren talk this past week at the SBJ conference where he said the Peacock numbers are 80 to 90 percent higher than they ever would have imagined. Even after day one, when they requested people to go behind a paywall, they had 95 percent of the people bought the paywall. Wow. So yeah. so and when you look at kind of the teams that are left and one of the things that Telemundo was a little bit concerned about was the last World Cup for English primarily language teams in the final four now with six at least six or seven spanish first countries plus the u.s left um it would be uh, a real windfall for them and by and as i had said to a couple of my our colleagues at nbc yesterday it may end up being the best buy that nbc universal ever did because they paid a quarter of the rights for broadcasting the world cup in the united states from fox and if the U.S., by the time people listen to this, they'll know whether the U.S. will 
potentially be out. If the U.S. is out, boy, does Fox have a little bit of an issue and Telemundo could walk right through the door and grab more ratings. Great yeah. for NBC. And so. a couple other notable countries out, including uh, Germany and Canada yes. uh, and some other. Condolences countries. to our friend Chris Niari. Yeah, I know. I know Chris was upset uh, about yeah. that. Um, but Anyways. hey, one, one more point I want to make that was interesting. I think everybody worried about the time difference with Qatar. Yeah. But yeah. I believe the day parting of this experience has actually been a positive. Well, it feels like everybody's waking up in the morning and they immediately start thinking, what's on? What what games yeah. are on? And when they were doing the eight o'clock starts, or well, they were doing 5 a.m. Eastern and then I guess 8, 10 and 2, now 10 and 2 for these last couple of days. It actually works out quite well in this age of multitasking, because if yep. you're like me, Joe, you've probably had your phone mm -hmm. streaming the games with the sound sound off while you're trying to do your, your stuff on your main screen uh, with yeah. Slack, Slack and everything. And, and by the way, of all the sports that you could pick, the fact that Football, soccer fits into a 90 minute window is the most convenient of anything that you would want during the day. So absolutely. And the point I've made repeatedly in the last week with my friends in the business, especially meet the media side, is it really makes it in a in a world of just annoying interruptive advertising that yeah. is best uh, illustrated, I believe, in football, NFL, and college. Mm -hmm. It has really been nice as a user experience to have uninterrupted, uninterrupted. Uh, sports for 45, 50 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. You get your you get your break for 15 or 20 minutes, whatever it is, and then you get yep. back to it. And you're right. You're in and out in less than two hours, 99% of the time, which is a lot different than watching a college football game yep. these days. Some of them are going three and a half, four hours. And, and by the way, our friends at the Savannah Bananas should take this to MLB and say, day games should be two hours. And they're yep. over in two hours, no matter what happens. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right, Fun let's stuff. go on to our, our guests. Uh, we want to give him uh, a good uh, 30 minutes or so. Um, interesting career journey, a name for anyone, uh, at least a last name for anyone uh, associated with our program around the NBA, around the NBPA will know the last name. But the first name I think is even more important because he's built his own kind of unique career path. Uh, now a little bit in the finance space around sports, which is continuing to grow. FinTech is continuing to grow. Um, athlete engagement is continuing to grow. Uh, no shortage of money, for sure, and no shortage for, of teams for sale, by the way, too, Tom. So interesting. But um, Stephen Elmore, Assistant Vice President, Global Sports Entertainment at Morgan Stanley now. Welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Even though this is where you are now, um, you know, your journey in, in storytelling, especially, from some of the other places you've been. Why don't you kind of walk us through how you got to this point in a couple minutes so people are, are you know, can kind of level set. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you mentioned it. It's definitely not a journey that I expected. And, you know, I, I've heard some great advice from some people that I respect over the years that journeys are never linear. Um, I still like to think that I have lots more to go. I'm still kind of scratching the surface. But, yeah, I, I mean, growing up, you, you mentioned at the top, uh, there was definitely influence in the sports world. Um, not that it was necessarily pushed on me, but it was just kind of a natural progression. And, um, you know, grew up in New York, exposure to a lot of different things, but was always thinking about playing sports at the highest level. Um, so, you know, during college, you know, I was a college student athlete and, and starting to starting to think about what I wanted to do after school. And, you know, it was, it was, 
probably going to be something in the sports business, whether it was the business side or even the operations or coaching side. And, um, you know, after I graduated from Princeton, where I played baseball for four years, I had a unique opportunity to continue my academic career and my athletic career at the Citadel Graduate College. Um, and I will say a lot of people ask me when I go, when I talk about the Citadel, they asked if I had to do any of the military requirements. And I, I, I did not, um, you know, that was something where the deal was you would live off campus and study, uh, at nights and, and, you know, participate with the team. Um, but have the utmost respect for my teammates and the people at that school. But yeah, that's where kind of my, my career, I would say started when I thought about, okay, what's next. So got my master's in sport management, um, was taught by the likes of the great Harvey Schiller, uh, Mike Beck and, and others. And, and just kind of, that was my first foray into professionally getting exposed into the sports business. Um, you know, having played my whole life, I, I tell a story about my first time working on with the Charleston River Dogs. I was a, um, I think I wore, but it was either a hot dog or banana suit in between innings and <laughs> had no idea what I was getting myself into. But that's where you kind of start learning about the, the, the foundations of what goes into the broader side of sports business and, and what team operations and things like that and promotion. So, um, Anyway, went through that master's program, um, you know, had a short stint at a, a PR firm uh, right after, but it was really, my heart was in figuring out how do I get involved in coaching, uh, coaching basketball. I think after some time playing, I said, you know, I, I have a lot more to give here. And I, I really just love the combination of competing, um, development, education, and, you know, just being around the college sports atmosphere my whole life, just the power of what a college campus can do. Um, so I got a job at Manhattan College, uh, spent three seasons there, um, and I went to high school at Horace Mann. So that was, ironically, I was down the road from my high school. Never yeah. thought that would happen either, but um, got some valuable experience coaching at the high, you know, at a high level in Division One. Went to the tournament my first year on staff, where we won the the, the conference championship, and um, developed that over the years. And then moved on to Fairfield University in the same role, but doing different things like you know, scouting and, and getting a little bit more into recruiting and, and you know, alumni engagement and donorship. But all that to say, it was kind of carving out this path where obviously I'm not coaching now and that's what I wanted to do. But little did I know I was learning a lot about the college sports business. I was learning about what goes into different elements of the business uh, itself, whether it's um, fundraising or social media promotion, um, some PR and working with media, um, you know, understanding how to work on teams and execute at, at, at deadlines, being in, a, in an atmosphere where winning is the only thing. So you talk about a little bit of a sales experience. So um, all that kind of prepared me to, you know, when I when I left coaching, I went on to to work at um, this agency called DKC, uh, which is started by the legendary Dan Cloris mm -hmm. uh, and got my hand into some of the best, you know, talent in the PR world. I mean, working with sports entertainment, media, uh, finance clients. Um, some of those clients involved, you know, 35 Ventures, which is Kevin Durant and, and Rich Kleiman's um, company. Uh, I worked with the Big East Conference, who, you know, I just, I love the Big East going in before that. Now, just love them even more, just the way they operate and with, with Val Ackerman and, and the team are doing there. But um, yeah, it was, it was all about public relations, media relations, strategic communications, um, building relationships, partnerships, understanding how businesses really strategize. And, um, you know, did, did that for about two years. 
And I'll add that um, in 2020, you know, obviously a lot of things happened with the pandemic and, and some of the, the racial injustices that were just brought more to the forefront. Um, you know, a lot of movements happened in companies and, and one of that was was launching a diversity, equity, and inclusion division at DKC. And I was fortunate to, you know, work with some of our leadership to, to launch that. And I became the, the leader of, of that effort along with uh, some dedicated teammates. And so what that helped me really do was, you know, tap into kind of who I was already, you know, being of mixed, ba- mixed race, uh, mixed background, um, multicultural, kind of something I've, I've always talked about and, and, and spoken about with, with the next generation, with, with people, uh, contemporaries and, and just in general, but now putting that to practice, to professional practice and um, whether that be moderating panels and putting panels together, uh, developing programming, um, you know, getting out communications from leadership to the ground level. It just really gave me that experience, um, kind of a reflective experience, but also an added professional experience that, uh, you know, I brought me brought with me today. So, all that. Um, and then I got, you know, connected to Morgan Stanley through some really strong connections. And, um, you know, initially there was an opportunity that was, was talked about in the DEI department, but I got connected to the sports and entertainment division who's run by Sandra Richards. And, um, you know, I don't really remember exactly how that began, but we just kicked it, you know, hit it off with a great conversation and, and really valued, uh, I'm sorry, really, um, had our values aligned and, and, obviously having some, some personal experience with the space of, you know, athletes and, and understanding wealth and understanding that life cycle and that journey and transition from playing to the next career step. And, and if you don't make it, you know, what are you going to do afterwards? How are you going to manage your finances? How are you going to manage your life? Um, all things that are very familiar in my household uh, growing up with both my parents. And so um, combination of that and just some of the things that the team was looking for really just jive well with my background and um long story short i'm here for about a year now hey Stephen, can we talk for a couple minutes about the the dei stuff um so it seems like this has been has been raised obviously to the to a very high level over the last few years in particular and it feels as though most companies are have, have made some sort of um advanced in this area, and many of them needed to, obviously. Do you get a sense just looking beyond DKC and even what you're doing now, because it sounds like you have a lot of connections and know a lot of people and know about a lot of different companies, that it's getting real traction as a viable initiative in companies, as opposed to maybe just some of the the top line discussions that get done? I mean, is it being like operationalized and is is, is it getting to be more effective? Yeah, I think, look, I think it depends. I think if you look more broadly, it's definitely getting better. Um, and that's, you know, you can see that through some of the commitments being made uh, for support, for broader, just broader efforts, being intentional. I think being intentional is, is the biggest thing. And and you're seeing that from from folks. I mean, look, there's a lot of, and, you know, being in communications, you see this, but there, there's a lot of communication out there about commitment and, um you know, speaking about the importance of it and, and what what people are going to do. But until until the action's taken, you know, you, you got to hold folks to task. But I, I think from what I've seen, it, it's definitely there. Um, you know, look, these problems that we that were brought to the fore in 2020 were 
you know, have been going on forever over history, right? It's, it seems like it's cyclical, but just the nature of it, um, you know, how it was amplified. Yeah. I think that we've started to see a real shift um, in that direction. And I will say talking about the division I'm in now, I mean, it's, it's not a DEI titled division, but one of the, the biggest appeals was, you know, the fact that what we do is a natural intersection with DEI. You talk about sports, entertainment, culture, media, like that's, you can't, you know, you look at the talent and the people involved, it's, it's like a microcosm um, of diversity and diversity at its best. So that was a big part of what we're doing now. And, and yeah, I think you just have to tip your hat to those who are changing and doing better, but also let's recognize the ones who are doing these things and have been doing these, these things for a long time and have been dedicated to this effort for, for a long time and have committed dollars, have committed time and support and resources. Um, and that's what's, you know, I'm proud about our division at Morgan Stanley and the firm in general, but um, overall, I think there's a lot out there who are uh, just up in the ante and it's not, it it's, can't stop. Can I um, ask you guys, since, since Joe is a, um, was a communications professional and long time in the, what, what I'd call the V1 version of uh, the V1 um, PR business. Um, you were in it, as recently as last year, I mean, it's, you just went to Morgan Stanley in 21, right? So, so yeah. it's a really recent experience. Can you guys together talk about your observations about what PR is right now in this world of diversified media? I mean, it's so different than when Joe and I were growing up where there was the PR department and there was kind of a playbook and a formula you followed, but now it just seems like an extremely complicated aspect of any business. And it's so critically important because of the uh, the ascendancy of, of social media and influence, more influencer marketing and things like that. Can you guys just riff on that a little bit? I mean, Joe's the veteran, so I, please. Yeah. Maybe Joe start. Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, there's a couple of quick points. One is storytelling really hasn't changed in 2000 years. Heroes and villains, interesting things, good listening, curiosity, um, passion, engagement, all that is the same. The difference is the platforms or the ways that stories are told. Now, I personally think it's better than ever before because, you know, you use a platform, even with the current owner, like Twitter, you have the ability to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation literally with millions of people who follow you directly. Um, that's, you've seen that in the political sphere where that was really, really effective. Um, I think that knowing who your audience is that you're trying to reach and who that community is and how you engage with that community has never been more important because it's a lot less success on, let's just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks, although that's part of it. But knowing and being able to follow and track and understand who your audience is and then speaking directly to them, no matter what medium you use, whether it's a mobile device, written word, spoken word, short form video, long form video, is still the best way to storytell. Now, how do you cut through the clutter? You have to know, be pretty concise on what your audience is, how you're reaching them, um, where they're residing, where they're having conversations, and then kind of growing it out of that. The other piece, by the way, that hasn't changed is relationships. So this is as, I mean, I don't know how many times we've said this in five years, Tom, but this is a business of relationships. So the people who are successful on the storytelling side or the communication side or the strategy side 
are the people who have the relationships, who are listening to what's going on, and are constantly building new ones and learning from everything else that's going on. I'll give you a perfect example. And Stephen worked with them. We had um, some of the folks from Religion of Sport in our class yesterday. So Kenlin Tyree brought in a couple of execs, and we talked about what they're trying to do in storytelling. Now, really, it's, you know, they're, they're a, a media company that's creating amazing content for people, but it started with the passion and the emotion of what Gotham and Deepak Chopra saw around sport, and they brought it to the right people. So those temples haven't changed. Storytelling has not changed. What's changed is the immediacy and the global audience, whereas it used to be, you know, we want to reach get something in the New York Times. Now it's, okay, we want to get something on a media platform, but also figure out how we're using the megaphones that we can to amplify that, to make sure that every possible person, no matter where they are, is able to pick up that message as we go along. Okay. Before Stephen jumps in, let me, let me just ask, and maybe this can help, help him, uh, not help him, but uh, provoke him a little bit with his answer. But one big difference, Joe, is these platforms provide it's not it's it's not a one-way communication. These are not one-way communication yeah. platforms. You gotta right. be prepared to hear back, which was not the case well, in the old quote old days of PR necessarily. It could be reflected in the marketplace with sales figures and things like that. But now any move that's made can mix things up really fast and sometimes quite problematically, depending on how the thing is done. So it does. It seems like it requires more kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat with the actual readers and listeners and viewers than it well, did in the old days. It depends on the audience you're trying to reach, the message that you're sending, and how much do you need to pivot. So you can't pivot on every post that comes out. You have to be able to. And there, by the way, analytics has given us a great opportunity to measure if the whole forest is on fire or is it just a tree. Yeah. Okay. And you can do that instantaneously now. And, you know, there are cases that I've, I've been witness to with the NFL and Colin Kaepernick, where they figured out when they have to pivot and when they didn't. Now, whether you listen and whether you do that, that's a different story. Right. But, yeah. but, but I think that the tools are there for success right now, by the way, the, the cultivation of relationships is wider than it's ever been. Right. So um, I think you can still be extremely, extremely proactive and targeted if you want to be, and that's the challenge is, you know, we're still living in a world where there's a lot of no and a lot of pushback, but I, I believe the more you lean in, the more you get out. I like that. I just made that up anyway. <laughs> the more you lean, yeah. ooh, the theme of this yeah. podcast. Uh, Steven, what, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is more for me, kind of like a, a session in school, but you know, I agree with all those points. And, and I think it's definitely just in my lifetime, you've seen the, the evolution and now, if you talk about being able to directly engage with your audiences, um, that's that's a big one. I mean, mm -hmm. let's just use sports or or just anybody who's in the media who has a voice. I mean, you have the ability to control your narrative. You have the ability to to directly engage and, and reach people that you're trying to reach in the way that you want to reach them. Um, and you're not going to be misquoted, or you're not going to you know be taking get have your tone taken out of context for the most part. So that's one big advancement, I think is continuing to empower those with the platforms. And, and you know, you hope that the the people with platforms doing right by, um, you know, doing right by society and the right causes. Um, obviously, you have some cases that aren't, but uh, that's what we want to get to. But I also think, you know, there's just in general, in, in society, there's this whole thing with 
you know, misinformation. And I'm not necessarily going down that rabbit hole too much, but I, I do think it's it's just made it, there's a lot of positives in this new movement. It's going to continue to to, to grow. Um, and I think like reaching new audiences in different ways, different mediums is, is key. But, you know, I, 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 my hope is that um, we're able to really understand the right information, the correct information, who it's coming from, uh, where it's coming from. And, um, you know, it kind of... Um, where I'm, I'm trying to find the words but yeah i think that's just a really as we've gotten more platforms and more ability to directly speak with folks i think that's just become more important than ever before uh, and of implications that that's the big thing on my mind hey yeah uh, and i want i want to yeah. kind of just pivot off of that and, and i want to get on to steven's day job as well and talk a little bit about that but but i'll give you an age-old um phrase tom that applies consider the source so, and a lot of people don't do that. They just kind of go off. I mean, I'm, I was basking in the glory of bottom feeder Alex Jones declaring um, bankruptcy today, which hopefully that, that maybe somehow gets the money back to the people who deserve it. But when you consider the source and you listen, it really helps you figure out what's, what's there and what's not. Yeah. a lot of times yeah. so anyway just one quick follow on and it's a good segue into into more the morgan stanley uh stuff about with the uh with the current position for steven but um steven you obviously as a former college athlete as a former head of basketball operations at two schools you probably watched the um the emergence of nil with great interest and i want to get your thoughts on that we've covered that topic a lot in this podcast over the last year and a half. But what's interesting to me is how this dovetails in with social media and this very issue of brand building, promotion, et cetera, that college athletes, to the extent they're interested in participating in NIL, kind of need to get, get into the fray, um, even if they may, may not be as comfortable with it. What, what do you feel about all that right now? And how do you, I'm sure you know college athletes still um, do you think it's a net positive or you think it could be maybe a net negative? I mean, it's hard to say this early after it started, but I'd love your, right. your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think you said it. I mean, it's hard to say because we're in, we're still in the nascent stages and, and it doesn't appear that it's necessarily going anywhere. Although I know there are conversations around how to regulate it, best practices, so on and so forth. But yeah, I think overall it's, you know, from, from the top, I think, student athletes and anybody should be able to benefit off of their name image and likeness that's that's number one i think we need to understand you know that's that's an inherent right um and this isn't me bashing the ncaa it's just more just you know as things got figured out like that that became clear and then i think it always has been but yeah i think overall it's a positive it, it's it's unlocked so many opportunities for student athletes already um yes to make money off of their incredible talents and to be able to branch out and to do other things. But it's also created more awareness for the need for education. Uh, and, and that's what we're, you know, our team and Morgan Stanley, we're focused on the financial education, education around NIL, but, you know, other things in, in different areas um, so that you're empowered, that you're prepared uh, to go on and do what it is you want to do and to, to just enhance that ownership of, of who you are, what your brand is. And, you know, this is a long-term endeavor. So you're in college for however many years, you know, you want to benefit off of name, image, and likeness. I look at it as like, yes, you're out there being able to build your brand and earn money, but it's also, you know, you have a platform where you're you're setting your, yourself up for long-term success, whether it be for future employers, um, future partners, 
um, whatever it is that you want to do. And so, you know, if you go on and play professionally for however many years you do, that's that's awesome. Um, but, you know, the adage, what is it, 99% of student athletes do something, they go pro than something other than sports. I mean, that continues to hold true. So, um, you know, using this time and this platform in college athletics with all of the tools and resources now that are uh, continuing to, to come at your fingertips, you have a, a great opportunity to position yourself for long-term success. And, and that's what, I mean, I'm most excited about, you know, our team is excited about as we engage with, with student athletes and, and athletic departments and more, um, because that, that in the end is, I think one of the most important parts of this whole thing that we're seeing. Stephen, you talk a little bit about, um, and, and obviously coming from a family background where your dad, Len Elmore, was, you know, always looking for the outside, the things off the court, whether it was law school, the PA, the places that he's been, the influence that he's had over people in big picture things. When you talk to athletes today, whether they're college or professional, do you feel like more are not just conscious of what's going on, but want to make a difference? And not just in the social stuff, but in the financial stuff too. I mean, have you seen more leaning in and saying, you know, hey, we want to be, I want to learn more about this area of finance, or is it still a lot of, yeah, tell me about this, but where's my check? How do, how do you balance that out where you are at Morgan Stanley? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, just to be clear, we have in, in our GSE, our global sports and entertainment division, it's, it's 200 plus financial advisors who are specialists in this space. Uh, my, you know, the head of our team, my boss, Sandra Richards has just been, you know, she's been, um, you know, at the epicenter of culture and understanding how to be, solve problems and be an ambassador for forever. But, you know, these are all conversations we have. And, and I, I would just say whether through being at Morgan Stanley or just in general over the years and, and still maintaining my relationships in that space and talking to athletes, um, I think it's, it's a mixed bag. I think, you know, the, the, the most, most of the crowd is looking to broaden their horizons. Like you have to focus on the main thing. So you're in school or in your, you're playing your sport and you want to get to that next level or just be the best that you can. Like it starts with taking care of your education and your, your athletics and, and the rest kind of falls into place rather than focusing on the, you know, the, the brand stuff and NIL and forgetting about that other stuff. But, you know, you, you get a lot of questions about where do I start? Um, and again, it, it brings me back to that earlier point about this is another opportunity to, to get started earlier, to build your, we can call it build your brand, but build your, your journey, start, start on your journey uh, toward that long-term success and employment and, and your reputation and, and overall engagement. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely about money. It's, it's about where it's, where do I start? What are some of the things that I need to consider when I'm going out there and getting a deal? How do I secure a deal? Um, you know, learning how to be proactive and communicate. I think it's just, it's amplified a lot of the, the basic fundament, the basic skills or fundamentals, whatever, you, you know, you can call it, um, into growing as a person. And, um, you know, that, that's my view, at least. I think that there are some, some who just care about the money and there are some who are just worried about their sport. But I think that number is dwindling because, you know, folks are, are out there understanding and, and talking about the importance of being a, a well-rounded individual. Stephen, do you guys typically find and engage new clients when they're young, like just coming out of college and help them shape a plan, you know, their Kind of, kind of what they're about to get into, which for 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 many elite athletes is a lot a lot of new revenue, you know, new money that they haven't had before, or or is or is a combination of like younger athletes and then more established ones. 
Yeah, it depends. It's it's everything. Um, you know, starting to have conversations with with you know young athletes, young talent. Because again, it's not just sports; it's, it's entertainment, it's artists, it's um, you know. Then you go later on to the executives and, and so on. But when it comes to this conversation, yeah, I mean, having a conversation early for those who are engaged and are curious is always something we're we're having and our our team is having. Um, but you know, when it comes to business and just the conversations that our team has engaged in, it's you know it can come from all angles. So it can come from the youth, it can come from high school, college. Um, you know, come from parents who are curious, coaches, um, you know, through different referrals, just different, tons of different avenues. But it's just kind of the common theme is just being able to be a resource uh, to all these questions and, and, you know, figuring out ways that we can best serve, that our advisors can best serve our clients in that capacity. Have you seen, um, this is obviously, I think as we look back on 2022, at least the rise of awareness and revenue starting to flow into sports that happen to be played by women, whether it's the college space, now the professional space, are you from, from a, a business standpoint, starting to see more athletes who are women starting to come in and say, Hey, I'm starting to get this money. Or if I get this money, where do I go? Or is it still primarily, you know, male athletes? Are, are you seeing that? Because that wouldn't mean it's a little bit more of a trickle down effect that, you know, that the, the money's now starting to flow a little bit more into what these athletes are going to be doing for the long term. The emphasis on, on female athletes, um, it's, it's important. It's something that's, that's, that's long overdue, but I think with some of the numbers that you're seeing, some of the results that you're seeing through NIL compensation is just proof that female athletes are, are, um, are talented, capable, you know, in their arena, but, but off the floor, off the field. And it's just been great to see that come to the forefront because, you know, we, we've known that if we study it and you've been around it, we understand the importance and we understand what that means. But um, I don't think, um, I, I don't think there's any shortage of, of, of evidence to continue pushing the envelope for those who are still not believers. And I will say that, um, you know, I saw a stat that I think it's 94% of C-suite women right now have played sport at one time in their, yep. their lives. Um, so if we're you know, talking about sport as a platform, not necessarily to go pro, but just in general to, to be a platform and a launch pad for success. I mean, what more do you need than to see the importance of investing in our future? Stephen, what do you think about the trend of many athletes, many notable athletes? You mentioned one earlier, Kevin Durant, who have become part-time venture capitalists. Uh, where they're actively engaged with the startup community. They're making investments oftentimes of their own money, as far as I understand it. And they're really kind of leaning into this idea of finding a, a transition, potentially post playing days to become a more substantial player in the, let's call it the, the, the burgeoning uh, new technology scene. Because a lot of it's a new tech, a lot of it's sports related. But what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I think that it's it's a great thing, number one. I think it goes back to understanding the value of you, the value of your platform. Um, you know, sports has continued to become more and more uh, global and impactful, and obviously it's been more um, lucrative. But for individuals like that, I think it's it's a great opportunity if you have the ability to invest in things that you're passionate about to be able to support founders and, and 
whatever your mission is, whether it's diverse, you know, supporting diverse founders or supporting founders who are committed to certain spaces in order to solve problems. Um, I think a bit about it that way. I think, you know, the individuals themselves and the teams that they put together, and that's, that's a big emphasis too, is, you know, putting together the right team uh, of advisors. But um, it's a trend that I think has become, I mean, it's not going to stop. And I think it's become um, common because of the ability that you have to, to really make a difference. Um, you know, I, I think you find different reflections on it and go more into the weeds, but it's inspirational. It's something that, you know, makes you want to learn more about why folks are investing in things. And um, even when you talk about on the business side, instead of endorsing certain products, you, you can obtain equity in products that you truly care about. Mm-hmm. So instead of just signing deals and endorsing products that you are having one-offs and, and care about, but don't really see a long-term impact. Now you're, you're a part, you're along for the ride. You're a part of the team. You're using your platform to endorse a company or a, or an endeavor, but it's um it's something that really speaks to your brand and aligns with who you are. And I think that's, that's one of the more important parts about this whole thing. <clears throat> All right. So Steven, um, how about some career advice for the listeners, especially the younger folks starting to develop their careers? Yeah. Um, I think the one thing, not one thing there's several there's several things but uh, you know relationships you hear about it all the time but the power of maintaining strong valuable authentic relationships is extremely valuable i've you know every stop that i've been that's been uh, a common theme and whether it be through working with mentors and seeking out advice um you know keeping keeping up with you know the people that you care about that you find valuable, that you find are doing things that you want to do and, and figuring out how you get to the, what they're doing or how you, you know, how they, how they navigated their paths and, and just anything that can inform you on your journey is extremely valuable. Um, I also think, you know, I'm one of many who've gone through, you know, kind of an unorthodox career path, but I still think that all my roles have had this common theme of, um, I guess, education at the forefront, communication, relationships within the sports and entertainment or business industry. Um, It's how do you approach as you're navigating your career, approaching the importance of of acquiring um, transferable skills. That is something that, you know, I think from my days as a director of operations and and college coaching to working at, um, you know, even a brief stint in, in a sales role, to then going on and working at a, a marketing PR agency where I did numerous things and even like crisis communications was part of them. But, you know, now with my role where I'm doing this, this marketing business development role within the industry, it's all about communication. It's all about understanding, um, you know, the atmosphere and understanding the business. And, and so whatever you decide to do, think about your skill set is, is that's, that's key. Cool. And then um, last question, Stephen, where can people learn more about, find you, number one, but also where can they learn more about the the space that you're in, um, learning more about everything that's going on at Morgan Stanley? Are there places we can direct them to? Where would they Absolutely. go? Yeah, so our, our homepage is morganstanley.com slash forward slash GSE. Um, and then, you know, you go on Google and, and type, you know, Sandra Richards, Morgan Stanley, Global Sports and Entertainment. Um, you know, we've gotten some really nice coverage 
about our division and what we do holistically and then some of the initiatives that we've we've been engaged with um just touching our audiences and our community as much as possible but yeah i, I would say start the home page and then and for me you know i'm on linkedin and i'm not i'm not hard to find you cool. found me so yeah it was easy we could always go ask your dad too we're steven yeah. <laughs> exactly he, he may not know but you know yeah. well, we can cool. start there yeah all right tom you want to wrap us up yeah, well, thanks again, Stephen, for the great conversation today. We really enjoyed it. We appreciate the time you gave us on behalf of the program. Uh, Joe, that was a great convo, as always. And um, what's as a, as a last thought, I'll say go USA, because we're recording this the day before the Netherlands, um, at the Netherlands game, where it seems like everybody that I know in the world right now is focused on this game tomorrow. And by the time this comes out, that's the idea. The so, yeah, no, it's kind of fun, but it, it is nice having this in our life right now. And, and as we said in the beginning of the show, it's it's kind of fun, in my opinion, that it's happening this time of the year. It just feels a little bit more special. Cool. So uh, yep. anyway, we'll enjoy the end of the World Cup. So, Joe, have a great weekend. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Cool. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.